Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Creanitators. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Thanks for listening today. I am joined by a very special guest to talk about Cyclopedia Exotica, one of my favorite works of 2021. I'm thrilled to have Aminder Dhaliwal, the creator of graphic novels like Cyclopedia Exotica and Woman World from Drawn and Quarterly on the podcast. Aminder, thanks so much for joining. How are you doing today? Thank you. Thanks for having me. I am doing well. Um, I've had a good morning, so that's always nice. <laughs> good, good. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm best kind of best kind of interview to go into is when somebody's already in a good mood. That's perfect. Um, <laughs> How so are you doing? I feel like I got to ask no, all the same questions to, right back at you. <laughs> no, it's totally fair, right? Just like have like a regular conversation. Like I'm learning to do that again. You know, now that the the pandemic is lifting a little bit here and there, oh, like yeah. actually bumping into people and having small talk again instead of inviting them onto my podcast and interviewing them. <laughs> those are those are different skill sets apparently. <laughs> so I'm working on that. But uh but I'm getting there. So let's talk let's talk Cyclopedia Exotica. Um I really dig this graphic novel. It's a great work. Uh you you lead into this with, you know, you're kind of literalizing an encyclopedia approach to learning about culture. And rather than going straight to kind of the lived experiences of the Cyclops in this book. And for those who don't know, first, I highly recommend you read it. But if you're unaware, like the, the premise of the book essentially is you're looking at a fictionalized universe where you have, um, you know, Cyclops in the world, right? They're individuals with one eye and they're very much a stand in, I think, for marginalized communities, um, even though the book is not, you know, it's, it's about their lives. It's about what they do and kind of what that world would be like. And there's a clear lesson, I think, from that intro about like learning about people as people rather than, you know, informational curiosities. Uh, I'd like to hear your thinking behind that introduction and kind of what inspired it for you. Um, yeah, it it was quite hard to communicate, I guess, to to pitch that idea to to my my mentors, my friends, because um, it's it, once I had done it and it was in the book, it was a lot easier to understand. But I I really I from the beginning knew that I wanted to craft the book in the style where. There's these two bookends where you come into the world from this encyclopedia stance where you learn, you kind of have that classic fantasy introduction or sci-fi introduction of like, hey, here's everything you need to know about the world. Here's like the map and how it works. And now we're going to step out of that and we're going to get a little more personal. And to actually have the character like literally step out of her panel and be like, eh, this is like not a cool way to learn about Cyclops um, and then start the comic was something I could see in my head. But once I started drawing, it became harder and harder um, and was really confusing because I, I had to also um, play around with like the page she's stepping out of because all that information for a very long time was just like the lorem epsom, like <laughs> just yeah. classic like words just repeating uh, before I like realized like, oh, that's an opportunity. She steps out of the page, which is about herself. And what does it say about her there? And it's actually got... I don't think my book is really like there's no spoilers because it's it's a very short read, but like it tells you about where her story is going to go on that page um, as she's mm -hmm. stepping out. So you could technically know her whole story before she's about to tell you it, uh, but it's a very different read than when she tells you it herself. Uh, so it was very important to me to do that and to be able to do it visually um, rather than um to have like the hard cut of here's the encyclopedia and here's the comics now. Um, and then the uh, the appendix, getting to explain all the characters, um, that was a little uh, 
late in the process. I had known that I wanted to explain why I chose those names for the characters, but I had actually put it into various like parts of the book, um, kind mm-hmm. of as like chapter headings. I, it was just kind of, they were scattered. Um, and I hadn't really figured out how um, they would appear. And then it was drawn in quarterly that through their notes gave me this idea of like, hey, let's do an appendix. Um, and let's have them all at once. And then you can also just like write more about these characters. Cause I only had like their explanations of the places that, or people that they're named after. And then I got to also put in my author intentions, which is then this other layer of um, encyclopedia, I guess, or of like a, a study within a study. Um, so yeah. you get like multiple layers going on. Uh, so I'm glad it all just worked out. And I think it, um, my fear has always been that if an average person who just picks up the book, that might not be the most interesting way to start. Um, yeah. Like if you're flipping through the pages, it, it, that's a little scary, but um, there's hopefully just enough that like they can skip those and see that it's like a whole bunch of comics right after that. And I actually yeah, am yeah. surprised if anyone actually reads those encyclopedia pages, because to me, the hardest part about like, writing prose was that I had to keep going back and I was trying to edit those pages to be like, oh, this is like kind of boring and like, oh, I should change the sentence. And it's like, no, no, that that's the point. It should sound boring. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. It is. It's definitely one of those things that as a reader, I'm I'm the type where I feel like, well, I have to read this because it's here. And surely there's a very intentional purpose. Um, I did have not not this work, but a different comic, and I won't say what. Um, that that begins with a very intense, like you described, that fantasy, classic fantasy introduction of like, here's everything you need to know, but it's like 30 pages. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I just want to get to the comics. I I definitely had that attitude uh very recently. So I I hear you on that. I think it's very effective in this work because of that intentionality, like you said. I'm I'm curious to jump now because you mentioned at the bookend at the back of the book with your author intentions. Was that in any way a reaction to what you got like in terms of reaction for Woman World? Like, was that in any way where you're like, I actually want to spell out some of what I was thinking here because of things you saw with Woman World? Or was it just very specific to Cyclopedia Exotica? That's a great question. Um, it wasn't uh, on any uh, conscious level a reaction to a woman world, um, but it was a um, reaction to the loneliness, I guess, of um, of content. I guess, like, I'm so used to now, like, when you watch, you know, whatever, everything is like there's so much stuff to watch whatever you're watching whether it be on netflix or wherever um you're often watching it alone and there are very few things now that we all get to experience together and i think that's especially true for books and then even more so for comics that unless you're reading something when it comes out if you are late to it you are either in fear of if it's something that is um like a more of a one shot like you're now you've got like the fear of spoilers so you actually almost like don't want to talk about it if you're just now coming to it i just started reading one piece i'm not talking to anyone about it (laughs) because i don't know what's going to happen but i found the experience really lonely so i wanted to make sure that i put in something and originally the idea had been to put in um kind of more like uh questions to ask or like you know to make it more of like a uh textbook feel um of questions Mm -hmm. to ask your book club um 
But instead, I went with the author intentions because it was like, oh, you get to kind of have this conversation with me and like what I was going for, even though you're sitting on your couch or wherever and you're alone and like you might not know anyone else who's read this, but you kind of get to have a little bit of a just in your brain, a little bit of an imaginary conversation. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, it's kind of nice. It definitely as as somebody who likes to have conversations like this where we go deep on a work and have these sorts of interviews, it does also put me back on my heels and say, well, I can't ask questions that she literally explained in her author intentions in the back of the book. I'm like that. that I definitely should avoid that as well. So you sort of take out some of the, some of the mystery um, or or at least the things that you're willing to say, like, yeah, this is, this is what I meant, you know? And it's like, okay, that's, that's clear. Like I definitely didn't, I didn't immediately connect on all the, the sort of mythology that you were incorporating just into the naming of the characters until the end of it. And it's like, I didn't, miss anything for that but I appreciated knowing about it by the end of it you know absolutely I you know since you asked if it wasn't any reaction to woman world I for like years I used to get people asking me and maybe this is related uh, asking me about the names in woman world um asking mm-hmm. like oh where'd you how'd you come up with these names they're like different and um they're all, all kind of feel like they're connected and I was like oh they're like the names of um the kind of the, the genetic, um, the, what do you call it, like the nicknames, I guess, um, for like the seven daughters of Eve, all the, the women that we can uh, originate from. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, those are the names I used because um, I, I thought it was like, oh, the world is rebuilding. It'd be cool to get to use these nicknames that scientists, I guess, have for, for these gene variations. But um, yeah, it doesn't say that anywhere. And I'm actually asked it quite often so maybe there was on some level some hey maybe i'll just like lay it out for everyone with cyclopedia sure Sure. no i get that Uh, so one thing that i I quite love about this is there's there's what feels like you know thousands of jokes in in cyclopedia exotica like it's really an astonishing volume uh just the way you structure it where once we get to the character settings you know it's really set up set up joke set up set up joke you know it's got that kind of um, almost classic like newspaper strip feel to it. Um, you know, definitely rooted in like Calvin and Hobbes and like some of the greats there. So many of them really hit for me though, like given the volume, what's your process for determining what makes the cut and kind of honing the humor? Like how many jokes get left on the cutting room floor or do you find yourself just going with your gut more often than not? Oh, um, so my process with joke writing is, it's 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 hard to explain I guess I mean I guess it's joke writing so it's a little bit innate but um I kind of wait for something for an idea to kind of spark I guess for me to have some interest in it um Mm -hmm. then I might know exactly which character it's right for or it you know came from uh character specific anyway um and then I kind of, uh, I, I use post-it notes and because I start most of my comics on Instagram, I already, I have all these limitations in place already. It's 10 panels. So that is the maximum number of post-it notes I can use. And I will do a first pass of the joke. My Generally, my, my writing style is just do as many passes of something as possible. Um, there's the version, which is, you know, the the crappiest version, the first pass, um, where I have some sort of an idea of a joke that I have just thrown into the ether. And if you were to read it, there's no punchline or anything. But I know that there's something funny there that I think I could find if I if I just keep exploring. 
then I will always go overboard into joke structure and be like, okay, and now here is the setup. And then right here will be the punchline. And then we're going to use this expression. And I get way too cerebral about it. And that's another way of losing the humor. Um, mm -hmm. And then it's maybe the third try I start kind of getting it right. But for a long time, it's just me. And then I give it to a friend of mine um, who reads it. And I ask them to repeat back to me what the joke is hmm. as if they are in the most mundane language. And they will be like, okay, the joke is this. And it's like I'm talking to a computer. And I do that for clarity's sake, since that's just what most yeah. humor is, is like, will someone understand what I was going for? Or like the layers, uh, like, is that coming across? Um, and then it's convincing myself that, uh, that I'm... I'm funny uh, because then I struggle with being like, I'm not funny. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit of a mess, my process. Um, sometimes I definitely stick way too much to, um, you know, cause you're not funny every day, but like I'll stick too much of to a structure. Um, but I do find a lot of like great jokes just come from knowing all that structure, but then just like being in the moment, which is really hard with comics because it is you alone and comedy is very social um so if i'm in a good conversation with a couple of friends and like there's just something funny comes up or someone's telling a story about like a situation that they were in uh, i just have to make sure i write it down um uh or if it's even just my story that i'm telling and i because i'm talking to people i'm pitching in a much better way than if i was alone in a room i just have to then like disappear and like go like write it down on my phone really quickly of like okay this seemed to get a reaction <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, it is interesting. Like, I I think definitely you're not alone in that, that desire for validation, you know, it definitely seems like some of the funniest people like just absolutely, they just need to hear it. They just need to hear that things are funny. You see this stand up comedians and what when they talk in interviews. Um, but obviously with comics, you don't get that immediate burst of laughter after a joke, right? You're missing that. Do you feel like putting them out on Instagram first? Does that help boost your confidence in terms of like knowing that that you can you're like oh yeah i can do this like this is working absolutely um i would not be on social media if i was not looking for validation uh <laughs> so absolutely um i think sometimes i have to balance out um two aspects of my personality with with comics with drawing with storytelling and that is do i want to feel better because then i'm posting something and do i want to just you know feel better am i is my comedy getting stronger um, are my drawing skills uh, better here was this the best use of this expression and um this joke all right i feel better the reaction's great and then the second part is do i want to be better and the being better and feeling better it's hard to manage both at the same time because if you want to mm -hmm. get better at something, um, then it requires you to have a very critical eye and um, to step away and not have uh, not to take anything personally. So at, social media works in both ways for me, where sometimes I just want to feel better, and if a whole bunch of people like it or say LOL because you know they're not laughing out loud, um, I just feel better and I'm like, hey, maybe I am funny. All right tiny voice in my head that keeps telling me I'm not like I have actual proof and numbers that you're wrong and then there are times where I want to get better at art and um there's enough uh I don't get that much criticism on joke structure or anything like that but definitely people in 
in their own ways will tell you if something's not working um, mm. in some way or another. Uh, so that's the time I can mine social media for like, hey, what didn't work here and what can I do better next time? And how can I keep growing as an artist? Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. How much, what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions people have about your work in terms of the transition from, you know, your publication on Instagram to a completed work in a graphic novel? You know, it seems like, I'm imagining the process is not as simple as, oh, I've done all this. It's on Instagram. Now I'm going to put it in a book. Like, what do you think some of the common misconceptions people have and how, how big is the gap between the process of getting them out there versus having a finished thing? I, I think that like you hit the nail on the head, like the, the hardest part is um, that people think that it's easy. Um, but I say that and no one has ever actually said that to me. Um, I'm always arguing against this imaginary person in my head who is like, <laughs> ah, she already did the work and like, this is easy for her. And like, um, but I've never met that person. So, yeah, so yeah. maybe that is not what people think. Um, but it's, it's surprisingly hard, uh, partially because, um, you're you're taking work that was made for one medium and now trying to translate it into a completely different medium. Um, the Instagram swipe feature is a really nice feature for punchlines, um, for the reveal. It's really great. Uh, sometimes when you translate Instagram comics into like prose comics where you have the entire you know spread laid out in two pages, you can you can imagine that like if a person is turning the page they're actually maybe seeing the final panel first maybe not like consciously and they are like going to just skip over it but like they on some level see it first so there are times where it's like you have to take back um you have to look back at um the things you can't control and that is always pacing with any sort of medium that is that is read, I guess. Uh, you can't control how fast someone is reading it and how they are reading it, unlike something else where you could lock it in, like a movie or something like that, where you lock in the timing. Except if we're now gonna change it and Netflix is gonna allow everyone to stream movies at like, I don't know, like half slow pace or like whatever, uh, double the speed. Um, but so that that's quite hard. And then the other thing that I'm really, um, I spend way too much time on is like trying to translate the right tone. Um, sometimes the comics, because they're coming out at a slow pace online um, and they have very much have a thank you for using Calvin and Hobbes as the, as the example, but yeah, that daily strip kind of feel. Um, I don't know if there are, there are fears I have that if you put all those daily strips together, does it work as well? Um, hmm. Do I always want to sit down with my, giant 50 pound collection of Calvin and Hobbes comics or do I just want to read one every now and again and I will say this the same for like do I want the option of going to Disney plus and having every Simpsons episode and having to pick or do I just mm. want to play automatically so there are yeah, times yeah. where I'm like oh is like they're an ordering issue and like sh are these comics just better at bite size um, but I think I did it better with Cyclopedia Exotica, where I was very aware of the narrative all along that I was trying to tell versus Woman World. Um, I hadn't put as much thought into that. And so I, mm. I hope it shows that I'm, I'm growing as an artist and storyteller. That's interesting that you say that. Yeah, no, because Cyclopedia Exotica, it definitely... So I read them backwards. I read Cyclopedia Exotica first, and then I went back to Woman World. And I definitely noticed in going back to Woman World that 
there is less of that um kind of that like seinfeldian everything coming togetherness of it all you know that's like the exotica it's very much separate characters separate worlds in some ways but then as we progress you know they know each other and and some of them are friends and some of them have relationships and they're all kind of revolving around you know similar events in their lives and it kind of all builds to like it's it's separate stories but it's of a piece it's of a whole and woman world you're doing a similar thing but i think yeah like you said it's it's less um it's less obvious. It's less direct. And I, I actually do. I don't know that one is better than the other, but it's definitely like I appreciate that togetherness of it, because for me, then it feels better as a sit down and read it all together kind of book, as opposed to, like you said, that oh, I'll just I just I just want to laugh. I'll just flip to a, a section of these, which you can do. You definitely can do. Um, but I I like the idea of it all converging into story. Uh, how how hard was that for you to to do? Because I, you know, I'm gathering it's intentional. Um, like to, I guess when you're when you're kicking out the jokes and you're sort of working through this process the first time, are you simultaneously thinking about how these are all going to fit together, or does that come later? Um, definitely with Cyclopedia, it was planned. Um, it has given me so much respect for. Uh, how like that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is told because I had a um like a production chart with like like everything written of like the storyline what had to happen mm. and then that broken down into the comics that broken down into which comic um or which character and where they are in the storyline who they are interacting with and what needs to be said and then you get to the point where you're like okay here are all the story beats. And now they need to be funny. And those story beats aren't always inherently funny. Um, and it's also not that um, it doesn't feel, I guess, to me, uh, the best sort of joke telling if the jokes are specifically around whatever the story beat is at that moment. Because sometimes it's better to um, bury the story beat and use the joke as a red herring and then have like a, the the story come back later and you realize that like, oh, I, I've been ingesting it in, in small bites all along. So it was like, I felt like I was getting it all done, like montage sequence of me being like, oh yes, like this and then that and then and that. And then I realized like, oh, okay. And now they now there needs to be jokes and jokes <laughs> need to happen. And um, yeah. I have to just squeeze those all those all in and, and it has to read together and all make sense. So it, it was surprisingly fun, hard, and um, exhausting, uh, but it is a good challenge. Um, the hardest part with joke telling to me is that just you're sometimes not in the mood <laughs> and it really is dependent like all art on your mood and so there were days where I was feeling it and it was like this panic would set in of like oh oh gosh go brainstorm as many jokes as possible because you might not have this tomorrow and like you are yeah. on a schedule of posting these <laughs> that's amazing that's awesome I so one thing I really love structurally about Encyclopedia Exotica is, like you mentioned, you have the bookends of author intention in the back of um, Encyclopedia up front, but you also include uh, Susie's One Eye, the storybook in full. This is after much discussion of the work and its influence throughout the graphic novel. Um, you you weave in like an actual storybook. And I, I love sort of the, the metatextual elements of like, oh, here's this thing we referenced. Now we're diving into it. I'm perpetually a sucker for like comics within comics, you know, sort of thing. Like it's one of my absolute favorites. What was it like for you writing a children's book 
for this fictional world? Um, what were, did you like go and check out other like, you know, like kids books and like get some inf- inspiration that way? Definitely. Um, it was um, kind of fascinating to get to do research because I got to um, read a bunch of books that I had on my my bookcase when I from my childhood that I had to go grab from like the library. And there are times where I was like, oh, this isn't as good as I remember. Um, whatever children's book I was holding, I was like, oh, this is like, this had some sort of a profound effect on me, but it was just like, I don't know, all together is like 50 words. Like how, like that's, that's amazing that it was able to do that. Um, so I originally had intended that those would also go online, but the more I um, worked on them, I realized that children's book, especially there's something about the layout and like the, how the words interact, I guess, and like how they're on the same page is something that was really hard to do on Instagram and maybe just something I wasn't willing to do, I guess. Um, but I, I felt like by the time I got to the point where I was going to do this, the storybook, which I had known for a very long time what the story was going to be, but I didn't have it written written in its final prose. Um, I knew that Cyclopedia Exotica was all about um, lenses and um, the lens in which we see the world, because um, it's all about, I mean, it's a character with one eye. So it's about how you see the world, how the world sees you, um, and the narratives we tell ourselves, and the narratives that are told about us, uh, including um, being an encyclopedi- uh, encyclopedic or um, the personal narratives. It's all about narratives. And so it was no question in my mind that I had to tell then a simplified version of the Cyclops experience in children's book form. Um, and it was fun to do because I already work for children's animation as like my day job and um the kind of narrative storytelling to me was like oh this is like the version of Cyclopedia Exotica I could have done I could have just put that out um Mm -hmm. on its own and that would have been a version that could have existed uh without like exploring a lot of the same themes but also having the same themes um Mm -hmm. in in some sort of weird way so it was really fun to do uh and it was the other side of the coin i guess for having to write the boring encyclopedic stuff it was now getting to do like the fun children's uh book prose version and like getting to draw in a different style and and get to i never color so getting to add all this color it was and knowing that it was completely brand new and that i get to just kind of stretch a new muscle. It was it was exhilarating, I guess, in its own way. Nice, nice. No, that's great. It, yeah, it's it's a great fit in the book. I think for all the reasons you mentioned, but also because it has that. And the moral of the story is thing that all children's books do, and it is very easy to see a world where like that could be the book. <laughs> like that would that could be the book, and it would be much simpler. Um, and it, it probably wouldn't quite get to the complexity that I think this does. I mean, one of the jokes that I find most memorable is early on when you're talking about the influence of Susie's One Eye before we actually see the the book itself, um, and how it's just this major shaper of how Cyclops are viewed in the world, right? It's like it's like this Playboy stand-in and it's like this children's book. Like these are the shapers of how they're viewed. And it's it's fascinating, like um, you know, kind of the the split between those two. But then we see a picture of the author, and it's this classic, you know, it's two-eyed male author, absolutely not part of the community. And it's hilarious, but it's also like that has resonated with me so much because it says so much about who gets to tell these stories, which we see all the time, and there's just constant 
conversation and, and argument about this now about how that's you know it's clearly a problem when you're digging into the satire like that right it's it's part, partially just what is the joke what is the humor um but it's really effective satire do you do you have like you know you say you're keeping track of of storyboard and post-its do you have like topics do you have like items of like hey i want to make sure i make a point about this that you want to explore or is it all sort of lived experience and just like they you hit them as they come basically <laughs> yeah i think it's a little bit of column a and a little bit of column b um yeah. there are times where uh um I, I i brainstorm from one single idea and then end up with all these different pathways of of storytelling i remember a big one was um when yeah like when you are um, a culture that's uh, attempting to be accepted into the the mainstream one of the avenues is is to to be sexualized um, to because then that the the mainstream is accepting you in some way. Um, and then after that, I was like, oh, that's like, okay. And then the other way is maybe to be accepted through your wallet. If you are now being seen as a brand new market, um, mm -hmm. now products are going to be made for you. So you are now valuable in this other way. Um, and then, yeah, the the narrative side of like the children's market, and again, just having like worked in it, it's like, oh, we'll do like the the wash away all the problems, and we'll do just the the happy go lucky version of it too, and we'll tell the story, and then that'll be its own big brand, and that book is everywhere, and we we um, help the Cyclops community, and that. Um, it's, it's, we're over that, uh, that, that form of racism, I guess we've, we, we've made the book. What more can we do? Like, that's kind of like the, yeah. the sensation I got from it. So they all kind of stemmed from like this one kind of brainstorm session of like, how do you accept a, a type of person? How do you bring in a new community? And these are some of the ways we do that. Which, uh, so, you know, between Woman World and Cyclopedia Exotica, you know, they both very much tackle um, related, but but separate issues in some ways, right? Um, not separate, that's the wrong word. Um, but, you know, you're talking, tackling gender very specifically in Woman World, and there's a lot to do with race and, and marginalized communities in Cyclopedia Exotica. And there's crossover, of course. Which one was harder for you? Like, which one felt more personal to sort of pull out, like, I, I don't know, like how to tackle all of those topics. Was it Woman World because it was first or or topically did was there a, a one of these that was like more difficult? Ooh, um kind of a little bit of both, I guess. Um Woman World was hard because you can't get any more obvious uh, like with what the book is about than calling it Woman World and like uh, I remember posting the first comic on International Women's Day and using the hashtag, oh, what a fool I was, because who do you think is searching that hashtag? And I just got just bombarded with all these like trolls. Like, and yeah. I felt so silly because I was like, of course, I like I'm not searching that hashtag like I, I don't need to. Um, so it, like, there were times where um, it was kind of fun to like know that I was like, putting myself out there it was obviously about gender there was no metaphor to hide behind um yeah. and to me like the tackling feminism um uh and introducing it as like this unburdened issue and just like these women having fun and like every now and again like a hot topic kind of comes up and then just getting to like 
satirize something that's happening in the real world. Um, it was really fun to get to step away from our current timeline in woman world, but then specifically make it about gender. With Cyclopedia Exotica, I get the opposite where I use a metaphor to hide behind. Um, it makes it a lot easier to swallow. It also, um, um, there's no one way to represent marginalized communities. Like to me, most of the book, um, when I was writing it from my personal experiences was about race. But then later I had a lot of people reach out to me and say that it was their experience. Um, it was related to to, to being trans or, um, mm -hmm. you know, just a lot of their queer experience. And I was like, oh, that's like really interesting because that's not the place that it was written from, but it's so cool to see people relate to it. Uh, but then on the flip side, it's in the current timeline, I guess. And so it was difficult to um, to kind of introduce race while um, there's so much happening in the world. There's so much we're dealing with. So it's kind of ripe, I guess, for, for the picking for me to like find like little things, just constant references. Um, but it was so alive, I guess. And I'm trying to just morph this book into what I need it to be narratively. Um, but this race comes with a lot of baggage. Um, and I didn't have yet the element of getting to just be like post-apocalyptic timeline, like we're done with the old ways. So yeah. it, it was hard and yeah, both of them were kind of hard in their own ways, but also fun in their own ways. Yeah, no, it's definitely a challenge, and I, I, I just find Cyclopedia Exotica so impressive in that regard because it's a, it's often a very hard thing to be funny about, <laughs> you know, like, like people have a very difficult time being funny about race. You know, it's everyone walking on eggshells and just like so unsure of what to say and how to say things. And I think this book calls out a lot of that in really smart ways. Um, what was it like? I guess kind of final question about the process here, uh, developing this in the pandemic. I mean, so like, how much did that shape? You're talking about it being in the real timeline and that, you know, influencing the work itself. But the the tail end of this in terms of publication is is COVID hits. And, and obviously we see all the ramifications of that. Um, how much, if anything, did that shape? I mean, I'm sure it influenced you. Was there changes in the text that came from what was happening in the world? Um, I don't think there are any changes in the text because I was pretty far in, but it was really strange to know that I was entering like a crunch period and um, just everything in the world was shut down. Um, so I had I ended up getting like a really bad relationship with um, taking breaks, I guess, because I could just be working always. Um, and then it was, um, I think I was, it was last March and um, that the work from home was happening and I was maybe in my first draft of the book um, and I have maybe like seven drafts um, that I was updating that they're, I'm just like constantly updating to a new draft um, and then the the George Floyd protests happened and I was feeling like I was like this was uh like such an important moment in in history, but also that I was like tied behind all this like work I had to do. But that work was also related to this important thing that was happening. Uh, but I have a deadline I have to hit, and it was just like a very like odd experience. And it made me um, a better editor, I guess. To when I did go back and look at my work, to be like, okay, is this the right way to approach this? Um, should this? Uh, comic be um should this particular comic be in here is it better if it's changed and when i added a whole bunch of new content um that was kind of most morphed by what was happening in the world because those were the last things that went in those were not related to the large timeline they were one-offs um 
So that's like probably what was most affected. But um, yeah, I definitely think it made me into a better editor. That makes sense. That makes sense how that would that would actually help kind of like curate what was going in there. Um, okay, great. So Encyclopedia Exotica, I highly recommend people check it out. Again, it's on the CBH list of Best Comics 2021. Uh, people will include links in the show notes and all that. Uh, before we let you go, I, I know Woman World is in development as um as uh, a tv series where where's that process at and what i guess what can you tease out as far as where development is there um so it's no longer currently in development um okay. unfortunately but um it's one of those random things that happened where um there's always i guess light at the end of the tunnel where it fell out of development where it was um but i got a brand new executive producer on and now with um felicia day and aparna nancharla who actually wrote uh, a um blurb for the back of the book um mm -hmm. came on as an executive producer and we have a brand new pilot script which we haven't taken out yet we're just a like we're going to within hopefully the next few weeks or next few months. And Amazing. I think it's looking so much better than the original version that was developed. So I'm really excited for this version and I'm hoping it finds a good home. Awesome. Awesome. That's super exciting. I would love to see that uh, developed in full. So best of luck to you on, on that pitch process. I'm sure that's nerve wracking, but, um, but exciting at the same time. So that's awesome. Thank you. Uh, yeah, before before I let you go, anything that you are reading these days that you would recommend to people um, in your, I'm sure, vast spare time? <laughs> what, <laughs> what are you enjoying that you'd recommend? Um, hmm, what am I reading these days? Uh, I just read, I guess, in terms of prose books, um, the new, I don't know if it's new, but uh, the new translation of Beowulf um, by <gasps> Maria Heedy, I want to say. Um, okay. I should really know author names, um, but that was, it was such a cool version to read because I, the entire time was imagining it and I was like, this should be a comic. Like this version is so much fun to read um, that like I could see the visuals in my head and I was like Googling first, like, is it a comic? Like I should draw this um, the entire time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in terms of, um, comics uh i feel like i'm now catching up when my book comes out i finally feel like i get to like read all the comics that i kind of like missed from like the time i was making my own um yeah. but i know it's like now probably like i don't even know if it's considered a comic but um ali brosh's solutions and other problems is something i sure. just caught up with recently and it is just you know chef's kiss so good so that's been my happy place at the moment and awesome. oh, I just actually started reading uh, the the Moomin comics, which I had never read before, and that's been really cool. Um, I like the the storybooks. I know are are really well received, but I had never read the yeah. comics before, and uh, they are delightful. Oh, awesome! Perfect, perfect. What uh, what else do you have coming that you'd like people to know about? Um, if anything projects um i have i will be starting my next comic on instagram within the next month oh, so exciting. follow me on instagram follow on instagram that's the the primary place people should look for you that's uh what is it at amander amander uh d uh, under, yeah underscore d at amander underscore d and then um i might end up posting it on webtoon or tapas we'll see um but you can go to my instagram have you done that with it. previous works on webtoon Woman World is on Webtoon and Cyclopedia yeah. is on Tapas. Okay, interesting. Do you do you like using that platform compared to Instagram? It's something that I'm I'm curious about from the creator perspective. Uh, it's I 
the good, I guess, is that um, the the platform is actually made for what you're doing. I use Instagram right. and it is not made for what I'm doing. Um, I'm just trying to constantly break the platform. Um, the hard part is that you're already then catering to an audience that is reading comics already versus yep. Instagram. You get to, it's such a broad range of people that you get to introduce new people to comics. So I do like to use both. Interesting. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, no, Webtoon is one of those things that I'm like, I feel like I'm not reading all the comics that everyone is reading now, you know, just by like, by nature of it, like, there's so much content on there. It's just hard to sift through it, especially when you're trying to keep up with all the the traditional print, you know, big two comic type stuff. Um, but yeah, no, it's good to have have multiple places to go to. So uh, this was great. Thanks so much for hopping on again, Psychopedia Exotica, highly recommended links in the show notes. And um, yeah, thanks for hopping on and, and taking the time to talk to me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.